This episode of Superman of the Bronze Age is dedicated to all those who lost their lives in the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. You will never be forgotten. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Hi everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of Superman of the Bronze Age, the only podcast covering Superman's adventures from 1970 to 1986. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and I am proud to introduce my guest for this special episode, the Superman Podcast Network's resident walking dork, J. David Weeder. Hello, hello. I get a special episode? Yeah, well, well we're going to call it special because you're here. <laughs> Maybe every episode I do is special. In a, there you in go. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you let everyone know what else you do? Where should I start? Um... My main podcast is Superman Forever Radio, which is starting just started its second season. And uh, we're covering the road to New Krypton there. I don't know why I say we, but it's just me. <laughs> I'm also doing Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, which is fairly new. Um, should be around episode three when this episode comes out, where I cover the entire Peter David run on the Incredible Hulk. The entire 12 years. And that's just the first episode. <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> um, and then over at uh, Xavier'sPodcast.com, I do a show with John M. Wilson and Michael Bailey, other Superman podcasters, where we go issue by issue through the entire run of the X-Men. And then to wrap that up, I do a monthly podcast called The Mighty Shield, which is a Captain America podcast at TheMightyShield.com, which I also do with John M. Wilson, where we go through the modern age, uh, or just started the modern age of Captain America, but we do Golden Age, Silver Age, and Today. Yes, yeah, so you're all over the place. Um, yes. In fact, oh, I'm the, just... I'm sorry? And I forgot about the walking dorks. So... <laughs> that's where I show up and just kind of talk. That's basically a tangent show. Yeah, that's a fun one. I like that one. Well, I like all of them, actually. I listen to all your shows. Um, but, um, in fact, I'm listening to the Captain America one. Well, not right now because I'm recording, but I was listening to it before I started the notes, so... Yeah, it's, a, it's an epic show. It's around two and a half to three hours a month, but I think yeah. it's hopefully filled with enough goodness that you can, it doesn't yeah. feel like that long. Well, it's once a month, so it's not like you got a lot of stuff. You got a lot of stuff to cram into one episode when you're doing it monthly, and there's yep. a lot of stuff in there. It's mostly all content. There's not too many tangents yet. Yet, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I took that show over from Michael Kaiser, who, you know, he decided to go ahead and, and retire from podcasting for the time being. But it's an addiction. He'll come back. But so far, I've been mm -hmm. trying to keep it, you know, as it was. Is this the the current one? Your second one that you've edited, or did you yeah, do the second? Other one? This is my second one. I did uh, episode five and episode six. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't seem much different, other than that. I now you've got the uh, Captain America theme music from the movie. Mm-hmm. And that which was, was an awesome movie. Oh, don't get me started, or we'll go on <laughs> for hours. <laughs> and this past weekend, and and it it was better. The second time than the first time, even. Wow, Captain America, uh, Bronze Age, but Captain America podcast. That's what we're doing now. Yeah, I, uh, I, su <laughs> I suggested. I suggested 
Captain American Falcon era, and John's like, let's just keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get to that eventually anyway, in a few years. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Um, I guess the next thing is, you're, you're only my second guest, so I'm not going to say I asked this to everyone that's been on the show, but uh, how did you first get into Superman? Superman himself, um, it's kind of a mystery. I mean, I remember Super Friends, mm-hmm. but in terms of really becoming you know aware of him i you know i guess it was always there he's always been around um i remember the superboy cartoon on the bozo show they would alternate between the filmation superboy and adventures of superman i was always a little bit more interested in superboy because he was younger and he had a dog (laughs) but i think the moment i became like a, a diehard superman fan was in preschool there was a group of kids that would play superman all the time and there was one guy that always got to be superman and he was just this charismatic he carried himself like Superman should very charismatic, very leader like and one day he walked in and the girl that was his Lois Lane uh, was sitting next to me and he just walks in I remember her name, I remember how he said he just goes, Wendy I wore this for you, pops open the shirt luckily it was one of those snap buttons Mm -hmm. pops open the shirt, (laughs) reveal the S and I'm like, oh I am in (laughs) that's awesome kind of an epic moment and they let me be Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen oh hey that's where the J comes from, right? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll I'll go with that. And um, okay, so what's your favorite Superman era? You don't have to say the Bronze Age just because you're on here. It gets. I don't think I have a specific era. I mean, I I'm a fan of all of them. Bronze Age would have been when I was very young. Mm-hmm. It would have been the formative era. But I think for me, the the From Crisis to Crisis era was my Superman just because that was when I was coming of age. I was about nine years old when Man of Steel came out. So it really grew up with that Superman up until 2006, which is where I actually cover. Okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, I think I, I was asked that on um, Michael Bradley's show, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman. Uh, I, I was, it's, I'm basically in the same boat. It's just that was the current Superman when I was learn you know getting into the comics and everything so although i'm excited about this new era that's starting i wasn't and i think everybody who's friends with me on facebook was aware of my initial reaction yeah i hadn't noticed (laughs) (laughs) long tangent post about how dc comics flipped me off but i gotta admit i've read action comics number one i enjoyed it i'm looking forward to the second issue awesome so far that's all i'm going to commit to i don't know about how the rest of it's going to play out but i'm interested are you getting Superman too? I I'm guess. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up at least the first issues of all the super titles, and just kind of take it from there and play it by ear. Okay, yeah, money's been kind of tight, and I don't have a comic store nearby, so I have to go to Tulsa, <laughs> which is like a forty minute drive for me. So I get like three. I'm getting like three issues. I'm getting Justice League, Action, and Superman, and then I'm making a trek down at least once a month to pick them up. So I haven't read them yet. So it's been really tough hearing all these people going, oh, it's such a great issue. Oh, it sucks. Oh, it's a great <laughs> issue. I can't know. But well, there's, anyway. always, there's always digital. Yeah. And that's actually how I picked them up. Um, I mean, the, the good, the, the positive thing that came out of all of this is kind of opened me up to some, some other options. And digital became one of those. And with an iPad, I read it. It was vibrant. It was great. It didn't lose any of its charm okay yeah if i had an ipad <laughs> that'd be a different be story awesome I, iphone it didn't work as well but yeah i've i all i have is the iphone and my laptop and 
neither one's exactly great for reading comics. I can make do on the laptop, but um, that iPhone, it just does it basic, almost like one panel at a time, and it's just, no. <laughs> kind of, it just, I'm, I'm too busy trying to uh, figure out what it's doing than trying to actually read the story, so I get totally thrown out of it. And, but I am an old fuddy-duddy like that, so. Well, I'm, nothing replaces the physical copy. No. But this was, I didn't want to hassle my comic book guy by putting it on the subscription list, and if it sucked, taking it off again, because they have to order three months ahead of time, usually. Uh, uh So rather than than give him the headache, because I had no idea they were going to sell out, (laughs) I I selected (laughs) it. I'll get a digital copy, I'll sample it, and see what I think. Yeah, I think I kind of ticked off the people at the store I get it from, because it's like, I think I went in the... The Saturday before, no, oh, about a week and a half before Justice League number one came out, <laughs> and said, "Hey, I want to subscribe to these books." But they said there was no problem. But I hope they're still there. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Um, well, before we get into the comics, um, I just want to remind everyone that um, I do have a new RSS feed. Although I written RS five feed on my notes, that's great, and a new iTunes feed for the show, and. Um, you can tell which one that is because it's the one with Superman on it instead of just the Superman symbol on iTunes. Uh, and I urge you to switch over to th- those feeds uh, because I'm only putting new episodes on both sets of feeds until the end of October. So if you are n- not on the new feed after that, you won't be seeing the new episodes and you'll be all left out. It'd be so sad. You'll no longer so, be in the club. Exactly. And and there is a club. I've got like six people. So it's been pretty cool. Um, anyway, all right, so what we're going to do is I'll go ahead and play a quick promo, which actually probably going to be a promo for something that Mr. Weeder does. And I'll be... R- well, I, now, of course, the first... I have a guest, and now I'm going with the... <laughs> I will be right back. Okay, so we will be right back with our first issue of the week. We'll be right back. Born to humble beginnings as the infant Kal-El on the doomed planet of Krypton. You travel far, my little Kal-El. But we will never leave you, even in the face of our death. He was sent to Earth in the planet's final hours, landing in the cornfields of Kansas where he was raised as Clark Kent by a kindly couple. And there's one thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. With his super strength, flight, and desire to help mankind, Clark moved to Metropolis to become a mild-mannered reporter. But he was secretly much more than that. Easy, miss. I've got you. You, You've got me? Who's got you? I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. A strange visitor from another planet with a bold destiny on ours. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. A hero with no equal. The Man of Steel. Superman! And in 2010, a man created a podcast. A podcast that became an institution. And now, prepare for Season 2 of Superman Forever Radio. 
it's a bigger, bolder season as we start down the road to New Krypton. Join me, J. David Weeder, as we conclude Camelot Falls and Last Sun. See Superman fighting in the 31st century alongside the Legion of Superheroes. Face down one of his greatest and oldest foes. And lose somebody close to his heart. Shudder at the coming of Atlas. Brace yourself for Final Crisis and the return of a hero. Gasp as the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight take on the undead and the Pharaoh. All leading up to the climactic finale that will have us at the edge of New Krypton. Plus, Superman the Movie Commentary by yours truly. A Superman Christmas special. A year-end best of spectacular. Special guests galore. A Superman Requiem special. Plus in our episode-by-episode coverage of Superman the Animated Series, the world's finest battle their arch-foes. Nixus Pidalic debuts to rake chaos in the animated debut of Bizarro. Prepare yourself for something like you've never heard before. All of this and more as Superman Forever Radio begins its second season. You can find it on iTunes, at the Superman Podcast Network, and at supermanforever.com. Remember, Superman Forever Radio, where it's true justice forever presenting superman superman 255 which was also released august of 72 but would have hit stands on june 8th of 1972 i wasn't even born yet but for a whopping 20 cents you could read the tale of the son of superman that is son with a u i need to clarify <laughs> nobody yes yes here. <laughs> written Not in by the Bronze Age. no <laughs> Written by Terry Bates, penciled by the Kurt Swan guy, inked by Murphy Anderson, and edited by Julius Schwartz. Uh, the cover was actually done by Nicholas Peter Cardi. Never actually heard of it, in all seriousness. But the really? cover shows super. Yeah, not him. That's a new okay, one. I mean, wow. honestly, I've heard of Kurt Swan. Okay, Nick Cardi. <laughs> uh, he's mostly. Are you serious? Seriously? <laughs> You've never heard of Nick Cardi? Nick Cardi, yeah. Uh, he's really famous for his work on Teen Titans. Oh, from that'd be why yeah. I didn't know him. Yeah, he uh, did. Okay. He basically was the Teen Titans artist from kind of well, not exactly the beginning, but from almost the beginning until late in the seventies. Okay. With uh, Bob Haney, back when everything was all Daddy O's and stuff. And then he actually does the cover for the covers for like almost the whole line of DC Comics at this era. Okay, this is not my era. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. Uh, I won't lie. Yeah, he's 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 a he's not not a very well known artist, I guess. <laughs> you know, the, I, the I'm not, Titans. I'm the only one that's never heard of him. I doubt it. Okay. He's still alive too. He's old, but he's still alive and does art. Well, he he does some good art because uh, look at the cover. I was stricken. Uh, it shows Superman reacting to buildings, vehicles, people. They're all getting sucked into the sun, and there is nothing he can do to stop it. That's pretty cool. And yeah. And the story opens with a shadow-covered figure floating lifelessly in space with that familiar pentagonal shield encasing a stylized S. And what lured the Man of Steel to such fate? It began with the invasion of Earth, apparently, by the son of Superman. Now, I know it's confusing. I'm going to get into exactly what happened because we actually get into a flashback. <laughs> in which WGBS reporter Clark Kent broadcasts live on a plane that is following the sun as he goes across the Earth. And Clark's guest is Dr. Paul Reese, the world's most foremost authority on solar phenomena. Phenomenon? Anyway. Da, 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 da. Phenomena. 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 Sorry. 
that went through my head too. So, but the plane <laughs> they're they're flying in is equipped with a special equipment to absorb solar rays and record data. And back at the the web WGBS studios in Metropolis, the feed carrying Clark's interview is lost. And Dr. Reese says it is due to a dwarf star in the system, essentially a second sun. Well, Clark is astonished because it's a roving star moving under its own power into our solar system to invade us. And this will cause total annihilation of the Earth itself thanks to the gravity pull of the extra sun. So Clark decides to strap on a parachute for others. And since the radio systems are out, he dives out. So right after he bails, the pilot tells Dr. Reese that Clark Kent not only is he's just not likely to survive the fall since they're over the Cascade Mountains underneath the cloud cover. But we know, of course, Clark Kent is actually Superman, and he uses a nearby lava bath to burn his disguise off under the cloud cover. And Superman flies into space and comes near the orange sun, which moves away like it's fleeing from Superman. Before Superman can dart out of range, two fiery pincers, pincers, eh. prominences. That'll work. That's what they call it in the book, so. (laughs) And they come out from the sun and strike the man of tomorrow. This brings us to where we came in. Superman is essentially a human eclipse bathed in black, floating in space. He's overloaded on energy, and he knows he can't carry his body out of the blackout himself, so he flies into the heart of the alien sun. As Superman flies into it, he is thankful but it isn't a few thousand degrees cooler, or he would be out of powers because the sun would be red. Superman nears the center and picks up some telepathic static, and as he reaches his destination, he finds a crystalline ship calling his name. The crystalline creature for ship points out that Superman's body is back to normal because they, note the plural tense, they used to eclipse to affect Superman and to lure him into the sun. And the aliens at the crystal ship change Superman's atomic structure so he can enter, and he meets the aliens face to, well, energy. Because the aliens are pretty much human sunspots who change shape their mood. Right now, they are jagged and erratic because they are worried about their sun. The aliens were sunthrivers who created their own sun, and then to keep that sun intact, they created a planet. So it could revolve around it, revolve around it and, of course, use the gravity. But that planet exploded, meaning that their sun is now unstable again. And Superman doesn't see what any of this has to do with him until the aliens explain that the planet was actually that was destroyed was actually populated, and the entire race was wiped out except for one survivor, and that survivor stands before them now. Superman realizes that the planet they're referring to was Krypton. The explosion that destroyed it uh, had basically, you know, sentenced the, the beings to a life of a slow death. The aliens have been cruising around the galaxy, collecting the remains of the planet so they can recreate it. Of course, the remains would be known outside of Earth at this era as kryptonite, in hopes of using the raw material to recreate the planet since their powers are apparently diminished. And the aliens have actually managed to gather all but a chunk, about 10% left, that used uh, to carry a whole city. So Superman is dispatched to collect a chunk of kryptonite, even though it might kill him. When Superman arrives, there's a giant creature resembling a human heart perched on the chunk, feeding off of it. And Superman recognizes that the creature pumps energy in and out of the kryptonite meteor, kind of like a human heart. And here's the moral quandary. If Superman retrieves the kryptonite and gets the creature off of it, it may kill the creature, but if he doesn't, the sun thrivers die. So Superman decides to throw boulders at the creature to anger it so he can lure it back to the sun. 
and hopes he can think of a solution on the way. But on the way, Creature uses one of his tentacles to grab Superman, and the kryptonite radiation weakens him, just as the Sun Thrivers arrive to meet him halfway. Superman sends a telepathic message to the Sun Thrivers and the Sun's uh, prominences, reach out, charging up the kryptonite chunk, basically giving the heart creature a great burst of energy. So it floats off, Superman is freed, and the Sun Thrivers have their materials to build a new planet. Which, when creating a new planet, this one went pretty quickly. It's about two panels. And when Superman sees the aliens again, they're smooth and round. And they tell Superman that he is like their second son, and they bid him farewell. So Superman heads back to Earth, wondering if the second Krypton will one day support life like the original. But even though Superman's feeling pretty good about himself, the aliens talk to one another. And they mention that this Krypton is also fated to blow up. And unless they come up with a solution before that day, they are fated to die which is where that particular story ends. Wah, wah, wah. It was a downer. <laughs> it was a bit of a downer at the end, yes. <laughs> wow. Um, now, before we get into the reviews, I just want to point out something. And I don't know how much of a fact this is, but I do know that this becomes important at, um, at other parts in the Bronze Age. But um, this, was, this, this extra sun was an orange sun, and Superman's powers are supposed to be cut in half under an orange sun. That's true. Which means, as far as I can figure out, that um, things like traveling at multi-light velocities and flying into the heart of a sun probably would have been not possible for him. But other than that, I thought it was a pretty cool story. Yeah, it had a few a few nitpicks. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Um, well, I went. No, you went. I went first I, last time. I went. Yeah, and you didn't have anything, so I didn't I have a lot. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Well, then, I don't have a whole lot. Uh, do you have anything before page three? Yes. Okay. Well, you go first then. <laughs> On page two, Doctor Reese. He just likes to be dramatic. I just think he's being mm-hmm. melodramatic. It'll come in, it'll the gravity will be terrible, there's nothing you can do about it. Settle down. Wow. He's using science, as Daniel <laughs> Donovan Morgan Grant would say. <laughs> science! Science! I can't do it right. No. <laughs> no one can do it like Donovan. No. But on uh, page three, what were your notes? Just before, I don't want to... Um, panel, uh, I only note was that on panel three... Um, you see Kurt Swan's version, basically his version of what the cover image was, and it's just an artistic preference. But I kind of liked his version better than the cover. I'm uh, I'm going to be hard pressed to ever go against Kurt Swan. Okay. <laughs> it just, I mean, it had all the stuff that the co- that the front one did. I just, I like his version of Superman better. I think the coloring so. makes that one too, and just the sheer yeah, the... amount of stuff you see because you actually see the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, granted, what you do see on the cover looks a little more modern-esque, but I just prefer... I'm ha- I like the Kurt Swan version of this, so that's that's just a personal preference. I know some people aren't Kurt Swan fans, but I'm a per- personally, I'm a Kurt Swan fan, and I liked his version of the image better than Nick Carty's. I agree. I, I can't argue. I don't know anybody that would really be able to... Well, I guess there are people. Kind of, that <laughs> flabbergasts me. Yes. My my note on page three was Clark immediately goes, it's a roving star traveling under its own power to invade us. 
Well, he's making some awful <laughs> assumptions there. <laughs> Which did... is pretty good for a uh, reporter. Yeah, and why didn't anybody mention the, the mountains to Clark before he jumped out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you can't jump out. We're over mountains. That's all right. I'll take my chances. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'll be all right. Yeah, I'll be fine. But no, they're just like, okay. And then like, well, actually, Doc, we're over a mountain, so he's probably dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, time to move on. Yeah, okay, well, we'll just keep going. <laughs> but it's fortunate that they were there, because otherwise he wouldn't have had the volcano that saved him from having to, you know, actually take off his clothes. What if those are expensive clothes? I hope not. <laughs> they look, they look, They look pretty fancy, though, for... But I don't know, it's the 70s, so everything was polyester, so... It was all flammable anyway. <laughs> Apparently. Because <laughs> it just went right up. Yeah, no problem. Almost like Tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, yes. Okay, next. <laughs> I don't have a note until page five. I'm a, I don't have anything until page ten, so you're next. Okay. <laughs> yeah, on page five, I just thought the first panel, speaking of, of Kurt Swan's art, where he, he's flying out of the lava pit, Mm-hmm. That would be the panel of the issue. That's that's the one I would want on a pinup. Okay. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Um, I now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I love Kurt Swan stuff. I would have liked to see it a little more dynamic, maybe. But I like I do I do agree that this would be a good pinup. I can I can envision a Kurt Swan Superman flying out of there with maybe some of the f- lava like flowing off of them or some of the burnt clothes coming off maybe but it, it is a very dynamic image it looks like he's exploding out of the volcano yeah it's a hero shot mm-hmm. uh, page six okay maybe I'm missing something you mentioned the org sun and he shouldn't be able to fly into it why did he fly into it to begin with that I don't get either um, because I would think if the sun attacks you the last thing you're going to try to do is fly into it but you know, it's it's Superman. He knows what he's doing. Well, that's actually that leads to my next note, uh, where he's getting the telepathic static. The thing I like about reading these that I learned was this is a Superman that has he's tried, he's true, he's a little bit seasoned, so he's mm-hmm. seen it all. So a telepathic static, eh, no big deal to him. Yeah. <laughs> Flying into the heart of the sun to find a crystal ship full of weird alien energy green beings. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> it's fantastic, but it's been done before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that's um something I noted a couple episodes ago is um a lot of the t- uh, especially when Carrie Bates is writing them, you really get the idea that this is a seasoned Superman that knows exactly what needs to be done just because he's used he's been doing this since he was basically 8 years old. So he's got a lot of experience and he knows what's going on and not too many things surprise him. So when something does surprise him and shock him, you know it's something really cool. He's kind of like that mechanic. Every every auto shop has that older season mechanic that you can bring anything in and he might just twist a wrench <laughs> and it's done. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw that in an old an old 57 Chevy pickup. Yeah. <laughs> we just had to do this and it fixed it no problem. These days they got them damn computers. And stuff. <laughs> that guy. <yes. laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I live in a whole town full of those, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm not going to make a one stoplight joke if that's what you're waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm 
live in a town where the Simpsons live or something, so you, you can you can be do that. It's fine. <laughs> we live in a town where people think I'm I'm asking a question. So. Later. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how many times we've had that. What town do you live in? Adair? Yeah, I'm still here. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun stuff. Um, okay, you got anything else before 10? No, that's it. Okay, uh, 10. I had a note here, but I'm looking at the comics, so I can't see the note at the same time. Where's my note? Um, okay, uh, I, just point, I just noted that I, I thought it was pretty interesting that they made Krypton, apparently, and they were the Red Sun. And I can't really think of anything that would uh, counteract that, or um, any instances where it gets reconned later. So they don't really mention it again. But when, how often would seems, that come up, though? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it just it it seems like a pretty plausible thing that that's what happened. Superman's pretty accepting, and he's also. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he's like, oh, you've been talking about Krypton. Okay. Of course, he does give him a little bit of attitude. He's like, what does this have to do with me? You need help. Yeah, that that was a little weird to me just because I thought, um, yeah, it's like, it's like someone just telling them their whole life story. It's like, so? What does this have to do with me? Other than the fact that there was a giant sun coming into the solar system and stuff, but yeah. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's that. Why, why, why does this have to do with me? Just leave. But yeah. <laughs> and actually, that's my last note until we get to the very end. So okay, I got a few. I'll leave it up to you now. Page. Okay, so Superman on page twelve flies out to pick up a large chunk of kryptonite. I know Green Lantern was busy. Hal Jordan was busy camping and eating Green Green Arrow's chili at this time. <laughs> which sounds far worse than I meant it to. <laughs> but <laughs> there are other Green Lanterns in the system. He, Superman can't, you know, place a call. Yeah, you don't know what sector he's in, but yeah, you would think he would at least be able to contact somebody, but if they did that, this wouldn't be Superman's book. True. Touche. I like the coloring on page 12. For one thing, first of all, I wanted to point out, I couldn't figure out how to put it into words. I like the effect that they use for these sunspot creatures, because they're not like, they're not, I don't think Kurt Swan actually drew them. They just look like weird color holds. There's no actual black to it. It's just all the magenta color. So I think that's cool. But the big image of Superman flying towards the chunk of kryptonite, they've actually got like, now I'm a little bit of an art guy, so I'm going to, I got some art words, but they're kind of almost gradient with the art, with the light, to show that there's light coming from behind it instead of just doing it flat. And the colors are really vibrant. The green from the kryptonite is really green, depending on the shade that they have. And the blue in Superman's costume is blue-blue, and the red is red-red, and the yellow is yellow-yellow, and none of the colors are bleeding off into other parts of the image. Oh, I, I agree. It's it's a very crisp it. image, and the colors mm-hmm. are very primary. Yes, which is not a bad thing with Superman. It actually, um, for I don't know what it is about it, but for some reason it reminds me of. Um, it almost looks like they use a darker. It could just be me, and maybe it's because the black lines. But it almost looks like they use a different shade of blue even on the on his hair. 
Let me look a little bit. Yes, it's a it couple, does, it's I mean, several tints darker. Yeah, I can't tell if it's just because of the, all the extra black lines, or if they. But yeah, it just it reminds me of some of the like of some of the coloring from like the near the end of the um, well, right, right, um, the early the early '90s on super on the Superman books, because by then they were doing a lot better with the coloring, even though they were still using basically the same processes. And it's not like today with all those digital inks and yeah, which I'm trying to get into, but I can't get my tablet to work. But anyway, I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh, the only other thing I had was on page 15, the heart creature flies off into space. All the day is saved. When a heart is removed from a body, you can only shock it so much before it dies. So I, I wonder, you know, exactly how long mm-hmm. that heart creature had. Well, I'm wondering. Okay, so he did take the kryptonite. The uh, the son did take all the kryptonite then. No, he he. I thought he got off the kryptonite. Is what I read. Yeah, the the vital link has served its purpose, so he's done. Oh. Well, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, he was a donor. I don't know. Oh, I didn't catch that. It says there goes the donor back to his own space haunts as it replenishes its energy supply. So even though it was supposed to kill him, they they basically uh, had had the kryptonite. Well, that's not right. Well, now wait a minute. Did they take the crypt? Because the the looking it at it, it doesn't. It's not clear. It doesn't look like he's attached. It's. A, I keep saying he. It doesn't look like it's attached to the kryptonite, but it could be really small. I can't because the way they have the words, I assumed. Which I know what happens when you assume, and it's not a good thing. But um, I assumed that since the heart was kind of processing the kryptonite or whatever, that they just took some of it directly from the heart creature, but left the chunk so that the creature would still have that to live off of, but had kind of given a bunch of the kryptonite energy or whatever to the sun to give it enough to restore it. But that last that panel that second panel it doesn't look like he's it's got a chunk of kryptonite with it no because it looks like the fibers are hanging down yeah huh weird because I, I, I just looked at it that they separated it but I hadn't thought about the possibility they just took what they needed and yeah that's weird and and of course um my issue is in the other room, so I can't look at it very closely, and I can't zoom in right now. Okay, here we go. Now it's letting me fit. Yes. There's actually a power transfusion. They touched the vessel, so they have more than enough green K energy being pumped into the sun thrivers. So I don't think they needed the chunk. They just needed the energy. But okay. if the energy was drained out of the chunk, the heart creature wouldn't need it. Good point. This is a conundrum. <laughs> Superman may have killed someone else. <laughs> ah, this is not a good month for Superman. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. But that's that's the last of my notes on that issue. Okay. Uh. Yeah. The. That's interesting. Um. Yeah. I'm I'm at a loss for words now. <laughs> hmm. Super murderer, but yeah, that was a basically. I don't know about you. I thought that other than that huge problem with the orange sun thing, which kind of would have negated 
a lot of the stuff that he did in this issue, such as traveling a billion trillions of miles into space, that uh, other than that, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good story. Everyone knows that baby Kal-El was sent from Krypton to Earth by his parents, Jor-El and Lara, shortly before the planet was torn apart by violent internal pressures. But what else do we really know about Krypton and its history? Journey with us now as we explore the Fabulous World of Krypton. So in The Fabulous World of Krypton, we have a story called Moon Cross Love, written by Mike Friedrich, with art by the great Dick Giordano. And on the night before Krypton exploded, the twin lover stars shined in the, si- in the skies of Krypton, which is apparently a sign of foreboding. Why? Well, we flash back to a story that the sages say began on a night when Krypton's three moons were shining. Two lovers, Renri and Tarlu, meet each other on a site known as the Trysting Tower. Hello. Yeah. Hey. Tarlu is the daughter of a scientist who scorns Renri's father, who is a sorcerer. But Renri can't help himself. He loves this woman, and Tarlu reminds Renri that his father warned them that if they were to marry, there would be nothing but disruption and pain because of their birth moons, which I guess is kind of like signs of the Scorpio or signs of the horoscope. There you go. Yep. And Renri. Astrology. Yep, astrology. Thank you. Renri <laughs> defies the moons and decides he's going to marry and love who he wants. And as he's screaming this to the moon, it alerts Beth Na, which is Tarlu's mistress, and Ren leaves, promising to come back the next night. And by mistress, I actually mean, like, handmaiden or something like that. Okay. But it uses the term mistress in the book. Tarlu wonders if Ren is capable of love being the son of a sorcerer, or if he's just all messed up with that hippie mumbo-jumbo. And meanwhile, Ren is caught sneaking her back into the house, his house by his brother Bick, that's right, his name would be Bick Rue. Bick Ree. <laughs> who is pretty sure that Ren has been with Tarlu and is not happy about it. And the two start to fight when the, the, their father enters. Who The father's never named, which is odd, but he chastises them for it. He reminds Ren that mixing with scientists invites violence. Ren agrees, but keeps seeing Tarlu. Ren gets some good news from the venerable Vogar... To, that he is in, going to be included in an expedition to build a new city to the south, and there's room for two, which kind of solves his whole issue. Meanwhile, Bick Ree finds Tarlu at the meeting spot of the lovers and accosts her, leading her to fight back with scientific fight training. Science? <laughs> Science! <laughs> Ren shows up and helps fend off Bick, who pulls a knife, which is apparently a disgrace to the family's ways. Um, the elder Re calls out and Ren freezes, which allows Bick to lurch forward with the knife. Tarlu <laughs> jumps in front of him to protect the man she loves and pushes him out of the path, but Bick is tripped and hits his head on a nearby rock, which kills him. 
Rin and Tar escape using two lanterns to guide their path, and Bix's body is discovered. The re-father, who's never named, sends two cronies up the mountain to chase the lovers, but by the time the pursuers get to the end of the trail, Renri and Tarlu are gone, and in the sky are two twin stars, which becomes a sign of evil and a curse on the re-house and the world. Although I'm not making that connection. And the night before Krypton exploded, the twin lovers start shine, a sign that the planet of love was cursed by death, and it could only happen on Krypton. Wow. Yeah. Now see, that first pay that first image with the the three guys looking up at the stars and one of them has a cane. It sort of felt like I thought at first we were going to get something about Christmas. A little bit, yeah. It looked like a nativity or mm-hmm. nativity like, I, I don't I don't know how you could do that with Krypton, but I'm sure they'd find a way. But, of course, the title is Mooncross Love, which would kind of mean that they're not going to... Then I thought it was Romeo and Juliet, which it kind of was. But there wasn't a son. But... So basically what we have here is a, a guy from a magical family loves a girl from a science family, and they're not supposed to love each other, but they do. They can't and help themselves. You can't. Young lovers just can't help themselves. But the art on here is awesome. Yes. As I mentioned, I, I, I think Dick Giordano was one of the best artists in the field. Yes. His loss is definitely felt, that's for sure. Definitely. He, for the, I, I, Personally, I think he actually helped Neil Adams' artwork, if, if you ask me. Just a little. Not a whole lot, but definitely a little bit. And he also improved the art of just about anyone he inked. When he as an inker as well, he's a great artist in his own right too. Because yeah. this is some pretty phenomenal stuff, and I've seen him draw some Superman stuff and some Batman stuff, and I just thought it was all pretty cool. As for the story itself, so I guess, so I guess like a kick, like karate or something, is called scientific fight training. Scientific fight training. That is awesome. That's really I never cool. connected I like... science and fighting, but hey, why not? Well, they do, you know, Krypton. I wonder what magical fighting is like, Ooh. other than just a knife. Although I hear that, although that's apparently wrong, so maybe that's science fighting. I wonder what magic fighting is like. Maybe it's just grabbing a woman. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no, sorry. On, on page four, panel four, he's just going to grab her. And then she moves deftly. So I Actually, guess... Actually, yeah, that's kind of weird Would now you... that you point that out, because it makes me think that... Because he pulls the knife, and that's a disgrace. I wonder if the sorcerers are more the, the, the pacifists, and the science people are the, the, you know, warmongers and whatnot. Oh, so maybe there is no magic fighting. It's just magic sit to the side and wait. That's pretty cool. <laughs> now, just let it happen, I... man. Just... <laughs> Speaking of that, panel one on page four. Um, is he whispering into her ear, or do we have some some like necking going on? I uh, I'm not sure on that. And I have to point. Uh, I'm a little bit too close for that. <laughs> out of all the clothing in here, uh, she seems to be wearing a normal Earth person's sweater. Right yeah, it looks there. like a cheer- like the top of a cheerleader's sweater. Okay, there me. you go. Yeah. I can Actually, see that. yeah, that kind of 
that kind of flows, except for the shoulder pads, that kind of flows the rest of the rest of her appearance. Yeah. She's always got her hair up in a ponytail, and she's blonde, and no one's wearing the bands, but a lot of the guys look like they're from some minstrel show, too. A little the, bit. Uh, <laughs> the ones that work for uh, the father, uh, Wizard Weary, or whatever, the father. Yeah, the one they, that he's never named. Yeah, they they look kind of like they have the kind of Sherlock Holmes outfits, look like they're going to do some dancing for us or something. It's And they talk like pirates. On there be his killer. <laughs> killer. Arr. I think we killed Dr. Light, guys. <laughs> and so I guess they committed suicide. That's their stars. That's what I didn't. It's vague. It's it's a little too vague for my taste, but. But how would they? Well, I guess it's the story of a legend, so it doesn't have to completely make sense. So I, I guess the idea would be that he made them into stars that they were so persecuted by hate that their love made them star I don't know it's I don't know. I, all I know is that it, you don't hear about that happening too often no, no. not these <laughs> days anyway now, maybe back then <laughs> yeah that, well you know it happened all the time on Krypton <laughs> anything can happen on Krypton Did, you know this version of Krypton because I think in the Bronze Age you see a lot more well, you saw quite a bit in the Silver Age, but you saw more defined Krypton. Yes. In that you, you saw details. It, it, how much of it do you think they were just making up as they went along? Um, Some of it I definitely think, like maybe this part, <laughs> they were more than likely making up. I know that uh, at least some of the early stuff that they did actually um, matches up with some of the earlier stories that they had told when they were doing the... Uh, uh, those stories where Superboy would sit under the can't think of the, the name of the device the memory chair thing which used to allow him to tap into parts of his super memory that had been messed up after all that kryptonite exposure um, where he got to relive some time on Krypton and because uh, E. Nelson Bridwell started this and he was actually retelling stories that had basically already been told so those weren't, but st- uh, these more recent things, like this story and what was the story of the crim- of the weird crimson bands or whatever that used to. That's float the one over I was thinking sky. of. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of I think those are made up for this, and then I guess Bridwell keeps track of this stuff, <laughs> and then that way they can reference it later on. So they can, but yeah, kind of pull I'm stuff definitely... out of their rear as long as it's consistent. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking it's at least I think it at least started with real stuff and then they um just keep track of it and keep going with new stuff cuz I know um I've read some of that fabulous world of Krypton, I think it is. Oh, that's what this is. Um Superman's World of Krypton or something when they had that mini series. Oh yeah, the the world it was just the World of Krypton, yeah, the original mini series. Yeah, the original yeah, um, I believe they reference a lot of the stuff from these fantastic World of Krypton stories. If I'm, if I'm, I may be mistaken here, but it seems like the World of Krypton was the first official miniseries, or as far as original content. Yes, that's the idea. It was originally supposed to be a, a three-issue story from uh, in Showcase when they tried to bring it back, and it, as part of the DC explosion, 
and then the issue, f the, the book <laughs> was cancelled as part of the DC implosion so they decided that this, it, the story was apparently done from what I've heard the art and writing and everything was finished so they just went ahead and published it as a three issue miniseries and it's the very first comic book miniseries and now we have them all over the place that's another yes. first for Superman though. <laughs> he, he starts all the cool stuff yes and uh yeah that's Superman why, kicks that's why butt that's why he has a whole network of podcasts dedicated to covering his adventures which you can find at www.thesupermanpodcastnetwork.com <laughs> exactly and thank you by the way again for purchasing that so we could have that instead of it wasn't hard to remember fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork but it's a lot easier to type yes <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's my pleasure I'll always support the podcast network yes and okay so did, was there anything else you had on that one no it was a kind of a trite little story not bad but just a little off yes um, I do want to point out though oh we forgot to point this out um, okay this story has not been reprinted ever yet but that first story we did the uh, son of Superman mm -hmm. that was reprinted in best of DC number 12 which had a cover date of May 1981 gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Superman Forever Radio. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com July 1963. The Marvel Age of Comics was dawning. First came the rise of the Fantastic Four. Then came the Incredible Hulk, followed by the Amazing Spider-Man and the Mighty Thor. But, the Marvel Age was about to give way to the Age of the Atom, and nothing would be the same. Was the world ready for the strangest superheroes of all? The X-Men? On June 3rd, you can go to the movie theater and see the evolution of the X-Men, or you can listen to Xavier's podcast for Gifted Youngsters, an X-Men podcast, and see how it really began. It's the Merry Marvel Mutants, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, the Angel, the Beast, Iceman, and their mentor, Professor Xavier, from the beginning, issue by issue. 
Every two weeks, join J. David Weider and Michael Bailey as they follow the X-Men saga from the creation to the first class and beyond. Gasp at the tyranny of Magneto. Stand in the awe of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Marvel at the mystery of the Vanisher and cower at the sight of the Submariner. All for the first time, panel by panel. On June 3rd, prepare for the Children of the Atom at xavierspodcast.blogspot.com. World's Finest, number 213, was on sale on June 15th, 1972, with a price tag of just 20 cents, with a cover by Nick Carty showing Superman on the phone, and the Atom is stuck inside the phone line, and he doesn't know how to save him. Uh, the writer of this story, which is titled Peril in a Very Small Place, is Elliot S. Magan. Penciler was Dick Dillon. The inks were by Joe Gaiella. And, of course, the editor was Julie Schwartz. Now, it's 8 a.m. at Ivy University, and in his lab, Professor Ray Palmer has just pulled an all-nighter, trying to isolate the gene factor that allows him to safely shrink to become the atom. He's been staring at a culture under a microscope since the previous evening, waiting for something, anything, to happen. Suddenly, the culture starts shrinking. Now, if it gets to a certain size, Palmer's experiment will have been a success, but it's quickly shrinking to a point where he won't even be able to see it through his microscope. And since he can't shrink down and check it out as the atom without contaminating the slide, he decides he's going to call up the one guy he knows with microscopic vision, shrinks down to the atom, and races through the phone line to meet our favorite Kryptonian. Backing up a bit, at 344 Clinton Street in Metropolis, Jangles Jones, who was Clark's rock musician neighbor, who basically got away with a hit and run a few issues ago, but is also the first of Clark's neighbors to cross over between titles, finishes up his quote-unquote practicing, which means that Clark Kent can now listen to his favorite music the classic sonic flare patterns by the musicians on the planet Polaris 4. Uh, and doesn't that sound like something Grant Morrison would come up with? <laughs> <laughs> and just as he's reclining into his chair, his phone rings. Then several things happen all at once. There's one, there's a small explosion in Ray Palmer's lab, which b- destroys both the microscopes and his hopes. Or, it's just one microscope. He destroys both the microscope and his hopes. Number two, the atom comes across some glowing thing in the phone line that brings a, uh, a halt to his trip to Metropolis. Number three, Clark gets upset that his easy listening has been disturbed by what seems to be a crank call. And four, every bit of, men- of metal for three blocks around 344 Clinton Street has just been charged with electricity, which indicates a job for Superman. After changing into his super duds, Uh, and then finding out what's going on, Superman quickly gets some quick-drying enamel from a nearby art supply store. Then, moving at super speed, he sprays the enamel on all the cars and doorknobs in the area, drying the spray with his heat vision. Since the enamel is non-conductive, it will allow everyone to return to their cars and homes without, you know, shocking themselves. Unfortunately, it also means that half the cars are now red, and half the cars are now yellow, since apparently the enamel only comes in those two colors. And also they can't see out their windows because the paint covers the windows too. Uh, While Superman flies off to find the source of this electric field, the atom is still in the telephone wire, trying to avoid being sucked in by that glowing thing, because it's not really said what it is yet. Unfortunately, the size controls in his belt aren't working, but his JLA communicator and his weight controls still work. So using some gymnastics and 
his weight there. So using some gymnastics and his weight changing ability, he's able to fling himself over to what appears to be a collection of subatomic matter, although Adam refers to it as a subatomic universe. But it looks like a chunk. Anyway, either way, he's able to adjust his weight again so he's able to float down to the surface without slamming into it and turning himself into a teeny weeny pancake. Meanwhile, back in the, um, for lack of a better term, big world, Superman has traced the cause of the electric field to a phone line heading into his building, but even with all his different supervisions, he can't figure out what the problem is. Flying back into Clark's apartment, he realizes that he left the phone off the hook. Before he hangs it up, though, his super hearing picks up some kind of a faint sound, but he can't tell what it is. But apparently it uses the same pattern as a JLA communicator. So, in a, in a thing that takes up about a page and a half, he rips the radiator out of the wall, remolds it into a large coil, like the one inside your ear, believe it or not, then somehow hooks all of that up to, a, to the stereo system to create a super amplifier. Unfortunately, this was pointless because it really doesn't help much. So after putting everything back the way it was, he goes to his fortress, grabs the Kandorian shrinking ray, returns to the apartment, and uses it to shrink himself and heads into the phone line, Atom style. What a coincidence. So meanwhile on the phone line, the Atom meets the inhabitants of this subatomic world, who reveal that they get their, their sustenance from the electron flow through the phone line. But the glowing thing, which they refer to as the absorber, is absorbing all the electrons. Because of this, people are dying and their civilization is lying in ruins. In another part of the line, Superman is catching up to the other side of the absorber, but he knows it better as a genesis molecule. Following the signal he heard before, Superman realizes that it really is a JLA communicator and uses his supervision to spot the Atom, who, as it turns out, is so tired from his all-nighter that he didn't even realize that the communicator was still on. Anyway, as the heroes converse, Superman informs him that the Genesis Molecule is about to reproduce by fission at any moment and destroy the whole subatomic universe that they're in. So Superman plans to move it to an uninhabited world so that it can create a new form of life, meaning it will have to absorb everything in this subatomic universe. But when the atom reveals that there are people in this universe, um, Superman flashes back to a vow he made as Superboy. I will use this power for all the good that can be done, to work for peace, to encourage virtue, and above all, to preserve life in all its forms. Unless or, your name is Thumstone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a giant heart-shaped alien creature on a chunk of kryptonite. Or, failing to do this, to give up this power forever. 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 Anyway, um, while he's remembering all this, Superman and the Atom do a whole bunch of stuff that really doesn't make any sense because they don't explain it and the art isn't very clear, but it appears that they're actually feeding more electrons and stuff into the Genesis molecule. Now somehow there's now two of them. I don't know how, they don't explain that. And both heroes have to hit both of them with all their strength at the exact same moment, at the moment of fission, in order to destroy them. Again, this makes no sense to me. Um, it may sound like a million in one shot, but of course they are able to do it. The explosion hurls both heroes into the phone line's electron flow, sending them both to Clark's apartment in Metropolis. While the atom enlarges and uses the Kandorian enlarging ray to restore Superman, Superman reveals that while their civilization was destroyed, the people in the subatomic universe did survive. 
This makes Superman get all emo about how difficult it is for him sometimes to make the kinds of life-and-death decisions that he is always having to make, which makes Ray respect him more, because he thought he was just a guy that, you know, fought for his version of justice. I don't know how he got that idea. Clark then apologizes and offers to let Ray sack out at his place while he goes to work. Ray then notices the quote-unquote music that Clark had been listening to, which he also apparently left on during this entire story, referring, it, referring to it as a racket. So while Clark gives Ray crap for not really recognizing real music, there's a knock on the door. Using his x-ray vision, he sees that it's Jingle Jones, or Jingles Jones, sorry, and thinks that this will prove his point. So Clark opens the door to Jingles, only to have him ask Clark to turn down his sound effects record. Meanwhile, in the background, Ray Palmer laughs. Science? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Although every time okay. you said the word Genesis, I kept thinking of Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Genesis. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This this was a confusing story a little bit. Uh, just a little bit, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I had the I had the vantage point of actually being able to go back and read it and anyway. So, I'm I'm guessing you have a ton of notes. So, um, if you don't mind, I think I'll go first. Go right, go right ahead. <laughs> and that way, you know, I can get mine out of the way. So, um, okay. Page three. Um, I'm not a fan of Clark relaxing at home in a smoking jacket and scarf. Not because I don't like him relaxing. It just doesn't seem like him to me. It just, you know, I've seen other stories where he relaxes and he, he basically keeps his Clark Kent suit on, maybe unbuttons the shirt and you see the Superman some, but... Uh, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would put on a smoking jacket and the scarf thing and think that's comfortable. Ah, uh-huh. but he but, did it in the golden age and lit up a pipe. Like Ward good Cleaver. point. Yes. Well, everyone smoked back then. Even Cap and Batman and Robin probably did in between panels. <laughs> it was the in thing to do, kids. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't forget to smoke. I wonder if they... I haven't heard anything. I wonder if they actually had smoke ad, like cigarette ads in a comic book. That would be interesting to find out. Not that anyway. I've seen so far. Okay. Yeah, I haven't heard anything yet, but uh, it's, it'd just be interesting. Um, I am, however, a fan of him liking alien music. After all, this is a version of Superman that's been spending time on alien worlds and in the future since he was just a kid, so it makes sense that he might like something that we've never heard before. Um, granted, you would think some of it would be maybe the future, but it, it makes sense that he might prefer uh, whatever these sound effect things are over, I don't know, what was popular at the time, the Jackson 5, I guess. <laughs> um, number four. ABC. No, no, it's in my head. <laughs> oh, I'm going to play that in the background. Okay, uh, page four. I feel bad for the Atom. His microscope is destroyed, along with his dreams, but neither are mentioned again in the rest of the story. <laughs> Excuse me. And I burped. And <laughs> but yeah, one, it's just... day, one day his wife is going to kill the elongated man's wife and become Eclipso. Spoiler. Allegedly. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, and that would be... <sighs> That's so sad. But it was just because she was just trying to impress the Adam or Ray, not not that she intended to kill him. It's not like she's crazy, even though she goes crazy in some of the stories that I'm actually going to be covering because I'm going to be covering the Adam backup stories in 
Action Comics when he's in there. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got Metamorpho coming up too, so I hope you have your Metamorpho yeah. head on. Yeah. Uh, let's see, page six. I like that the art supply story here was called Dylan and Gaella Art Supply. Now, I'm, I don't know if that was their idea or the letterer's idea or somebody else's idea. Um, so I'm not completely sure if the actual people, the two guys that are working there actually look like Dick Dylan and Joe Gaella, but I still thought it was funny. And I also think it's funny that they're going to give temp- Superman a 10% off on all the enamel because he's working for the city. Hey, cool. nice. Yeah, nice. 10% off. And um, uh, like I mentioned before, um, we see Superman saving the day by spraying all the cars. For first of all, I want to mention that um, apparently it looks like Superman literally only buys two cans of this enamel, which sprays on like spray paint. And somehow these two cans cover all the cars within a three-block radius of 344 Clinton Street, plus all the doorknobs, which means that those are some pretty large cans, which doesn't sound right. But... <laughs> <laughs> it was a long way to go to set that joke up. <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't even trying to. I just, that just can't, anyway. <laughs> um, in any event, like I said before, half the cars are yellow, half the color, cars are red because they only had two colors apparently, and now no one can see out their car windows because they're covered in dried enamel. So anyway, page 9 and 10, um, it was pretty in- I thought it was pretty interesting how the Atom keeps slipping into scientist mode, uh, because he's, while he's going through all this, you know, trying to prevent himself from dying, he's also, as a scientist, observing what's going on and being fascinated by it, and he actually has to keep reminding himself of the severity of the situation usually by saying, what am I doing? I'm about, uh, I could die here, and here I am ta- observing things like it's science. Science! So. <laughs> ah, I can't do it anymore without hearing that. Anyway. <clears throat> We're going to owe Donald love... some royalties soon. I know, man. I might just have to get the clip, a clip from John and see if I can just throw science in here all the time so we don't have to hear our For no reason. imitations. <laughs> yeah, just, just, you know, maybe like right here. Hi. And like... <laughs> Welcome to Superman like, of the Bronze Age. Science? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Super Science, man. Yeah. <laughs> Except it would have been science, not... Anyway. Uh, page 11. I love seeing Superman making a super device using normal things from the quote-unquote real world. But um, since it didn't work, it just seems like a waste of a page here. But maybe they needed it to fill it up. I don't know. Um, it was kind of cool, though. Uh, Superman making super devices is always awesome whether it's a giant tuning fork or a turning a radiator into a giant speaker. So, uh, Paige... He's clever. He's a clever man. Well, he's super smart, you know. He's super True. clever. Does he have super humor? That I don't know. Okay. You well, don't see him like... laugh too much. <laughs> Let's not go down that path, because that's a whole Seinfeld <laughs> episode on itself. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then um, page 19 and 21... Well, 19 through 21... Now this is the part where Superman and the Atom are doing a whole bunch of stuff, but there's no captions to tell you what it is because they're doing his whole the vow that he made. So you really can't tell what's going on because it looks like they're just flying around and things are happening behind them. Um, 
this is uh, apparently this is a time, or at least Dick Dillon is from the school of art, where it was really important to have the captions to let people know what the heck was going on, um, because apparently the art isn't always good at telling that. It's not like today where you can have six pages of just art and you can figure out what's going on, like in those Nuff Set issues from Marvel. And yeah, to me, it just kind of, yeah, not really well. But despite its flaws, I really enjoyed the story. Uh, the art does look good for the most part. Just isn't the kind that can tell the story without captions. And it was nice to have an actual team up where the heroes work together, even though it was only briefly. And they really, this story really wasn't has not been reprinted for whatever reasons. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, not on that one. Uh, it's just it, it, you. I think you hit it on the head. It's nice to see them work together rather than. Oh, we're going to fight first, then we're actually going to take out the villain. That's really pulling the strings. Yeah, and there were actually a few, like a string, like three or four issues, I think, where basically Superman would have his part of the story, the guest would have his part of the story, or his or her part of the story, and they wouldn't actually, and while they'd maybe be together, uh, Superman was still doing all the work, and they got knocked to the back, or the other way around. So it was nice to actually see them working together here. Yeah, it was a good issue, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so... I'm going to throw out a couple more promos, and we'll be right back with our final issue of the month. Actually, that's going to have to wait until next week. David and I end up taking another hour to finish up our conversation of August 1972, so I'm going to go ahead and split this up into two episodes. So make sure you tune in next week for our discussion of Action Comics 415, as well as the ads and what else DC published that month. I want to thank J. David Weeder again for coming on the show. I want to thank you for downloading this episode. And now here's Angie. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork, where new episodes are posted weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze1970.lipson.com and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to this show via RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC Publications.